A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part two, and the final part for now, the story of Zachariah Peterson. Zach was charged and found guilty of second-degree murder using the highly controversial felony murder rule. In between our conversations, I'd lose contact with Zach for a couple of weeks. This is nothing unusual and can happen quite regularly. As we've spoken about in the past, it could be for a host of different reasons, including riots and lockdowns. So, in some cases, it's just a case of sit and wait for news. In Zach's case, however, it had nothing to do with any violence or prison unrest. He had, in fact, been transferred to another facility. Uh, down here to Charleston, Missouri. Right. Why, why was that? Was it just a typical thing that they do every now and then? No, I had requested to leave and come down here because my family, my dad stays down here in Georgia, and I wanted to get closer to them, so I said, hey, why not go down here? So what's the new facility like compared to where you were? Uh, it's okay. You know I me. Mean? It's a lot more recreation, a lot more uh, outside time, so that's a plus. Yeah. And what about the situation yeah. with your, your cell situation? You in a two-man cell or open bay? Uh, yeah, I'm still in a two-man cell. Okay, fair enough. That must be something. Getting used to, you know, a new cellmate and that sort of stuff must be uh, an interesting time. Definitely interesting. <laughs> Definitely uh, interesting. Yeah. So Zach's been arrested and charged with second-degree murder and armed criminal action for the death of Jeremy Peterson during what police would say was a drug deal gone wrong. Zach was a marijuana dealer, and a guy that was definitely not on the right side of the law. In fact, this wasn't his first run-in with the police or first time inside a facility. So it says here that um, prosecutors filed a third-degree assault charge against you. You were accused of biting someone's finger at a Columbia nightclub. What was that all about? I was at the Columbia nightclub a couple of days before this incident occurred, and my friend had got into an altercation. Somebody had stepped on his shoes, and he just knocked him out. But 
They ended up tussling onto the ground, so I'm just standing over and making sure no one gets into the fight, and the security grabbed me from behind. And uh, I put my hands up. I'm like, hey, man, I'm not even doing nothing. But he wouldn't stop trying to choke me, so I bit his finger. Right. And then uh, that's when uh, uh, his partners ended up grabbing both my legs, grabbing me, ended up locking in the headlock, and then they ended up dragging me outside and threw me out. Had you been arrested by the police before a few times? In Missouri? Just in general. Like, had you had run-ins with the police? Yeah, I've had some run-ins with the police prior to. I was incarcerated in Minnesota. I had got incarcerated at the age of uh, 17. Uh, I had committed a burglary. And uh, they ended up catching me because uh, my co-defendant ended up telling on me, and they ended up certifying me as an assault. And then I took a took a plea deal for a three-year sentence in that in that uh, incident, and that's what resulted in me coming down here to Columbia, Missouri. Because when I got out of the prison up there, I was on parole, and I couldn't find housing that the parole officers would approve of. So I ended up filing for uh, what they call the uh, interstate compact. And uh, I ended up changing my parole status from Minnesota to Columbia, Missouri. And that was, is that when you came to move with your father? Yeah, yep, yeah, correct. As we know, Zach was arrested for the shooting of 31-year-old James Porter during what police would say was a drug deal gone bad. Zach has told us he wasn't there when the shooting took place. He was in another vehicle with his contact who receives a phone call from a man named JD to tell him there's been an issue and that Mr Porter has been shot. You obviously told the police eventually about this JD guy, Did you, you did, but you didn't know him very well or at all? I knew him, I knew him in association with, uh, you know, our dealings, you know what I mean, when it came to me coming to pick stuff up, drop stuff off, doing all that. But you obviously, because they, thre- they did threaten you and say, you know, keep your mouth shut. So in initial I- interviews with police, you obviously weren't cooperating with them at all, as in you weren't, you didn't put any names forward. You just said, look, this is what I was doing, but I don't know what happened to, to Porter. Right. Yeah. I gave him a vague description of, of, of the events that I gave you, but I was careful not to say too much because they twist your words. That's what they do. They weren't even listening to me. They were just trying to bend and manipulate. And I'm like, man, all right, man, whatever, man. I'm, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and get the lawyer, man, and I'm going to talk to y'all later, man. So Zach was under arrest and spent the next 13 months in jail while he awaited his trial. The prosecution would build their case against him. But what was that case? The prosecution would present the case that Zachariah Peterson was a marijuana dealer and that he and the victim were friends. They would say that the victim had a drug deal that he wanted to facilitate and asked to be introduced to Zach's supplier. This, of course, cutting Zach out as the middleman and would mean that he would make more money. Zach allegedly agrees since they're friends. Text messages from Zach's phone would show that he had texted his contact to purchase this 20 pounds of marijuana. All of this is undisputed by Zach. He says this is exactly what happened. What he is disputing is what happens after they arrive at the trailer park. Witnesses would describe hearing an argument, then a couple of pops which they obviously believed to be gunshots. James Porter would be seen getting out of the Tahoe and running a short distance before collapsing. So far, no witnesses are able to identify who was actually driving the vehicle. However, the prosecution would argue it was Zach. Who else could it be? Their argument, they literally said this in trial. They said, 
you can go outside and, and see that there's water on the cars, but you didn't see it rain. But you know that it rained. So they're like, that's what we're going to attempt to prove here today. They're like, who else could it be? That's what they're saying in trial. Who else could it be, jury? Uh, who else could it be? They're not knowing I'm about to testify and explain where I was and associate my phone records to where I was and undermine everything, right? But they don't know we're about to present a phone expert that's about to undermine this inadequate assessment of these pinging towers that this phone was doing at the time. They don't know that we're about to present evidence that Marshall Cruz said that he heard the gunshots at 210. You see what I'm saying? They, they don't know all this. They're just... They're hoping that the jury just assumes based on me being, basically me being in court and being the defendant. They did have one neighbour who would get up and testify as to witnessing the actual shooting itself. However, the issue was her initial description of the suspect did not match Zach. There's no evidence of what happened. There, there, there's no nobody that was at the scene to say what happened, who did what, because the eyewitnesses, there was eyewitnesses to the incident, and they said they seen two people fighting in the truck, and then they seen James after hearing a couple of gunshots they seen James get out the car and run, and then the driver just take off well, the witness had described who she thought the shooter was and the description was entirely different than me, the description she gave was that he had short hair and it was like a black man's hair, right? I have long hair, long stringy hair, and I'm a white man. Evidently, that's not me. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The state's eyewitness, Zach says, was a lady who didn't in fact speak English and who would need a translator at trial in order to give her testimony. Police would apparently find this lady after they went door-knocking at the other trailers. 
For those who weren't home, they would leave cards asking for assistance from anyone who'd seen any of the incident from that afternoon. Once their witness arrives home, she would apparently find this card and call police. During her deposition, she says she witnessed what had happened and afterwards would leave to go to the laundromat. I'm like, why would you go to the laundromat after witnessing somebody get shot down? Like, what kind of sense does that make? All of a sudden now, you know what happened and now you're calling the police for assistance? Like, yeah, that didn't make sense. But no, we don't know too much about the witness at all. Do we know where she was in relation to seeing the crime? Like, was she pretty close or was she from a distance? Do we know any of that stuff? Uh, The trajectory, I think, was maybe 80 feet away. Right when it came to the, uh, the GPS sites and the pictures from the satellite that they had, uh, it was seen that the, the vehicle was positioned basically where you drive at. It was like the driving area of the trailer park and it had stopped. But the trajectory in which she could have witnessed the incident was probably, uh, when we're talking clockwise, we're talking probably about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. So the vehicle's facing her direction and she's probably 11 o'clock, 80 feet away. And so she first, she identifies somebody as being uh, a black man uh, who had short hair, like a black guy's hair. Right. So how does the prosecution get, get around that when she's, her description of the person doesn't match you who've got, you've got long hair and you ain't, you're not a black guy. They're, they're using the circumstantial evidence of me being the last person seen with them in this vehicle. See, they, 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 don't, they don't know the window of time of what happened between them. All they're saying is that I was the last individual with him, and he ends up shot and killed, and then my phone records show me in the potential area around the time that it could have happened. So they're like, we're going to go with what we got. And then they got the, the marijuana and the money from my house, even though it was a small marijuana and a small amount of money that couldn't have possibly been associated with this event. And they used that to basically trump the charge up on the complaint. It just it seems weird to me that they would call her at all if she's basically talking about someone who looks nothing like you. They didn't allow the, the witness to testify to that point. See, the judge, we, we had filed what's called a motion in limine, which was basically a motion to allow us to do something in trial, right? And we wanted to bring up the fact that she couldn't identify me in the lineup and that her description of the suspect was basically entirely different than me. Well, the judge struck that down. She's like, no, nah, we're not even going to talk about uh, uh, her identification of the potential suspect. We're just going to go with the version of events that she had gave the statement to the officer about. So your def- like, your defense attorney was were, was not allowed to question her about the person that she saw. Right. Without any solid evidence that Zach was the shooter, the state is relying on circumstantial evidence in which to show that Zach must have been the shooter. They have the eyewitness who say they see James Porter exit the blue Chevy Tahoe after hearing multiple shots. The Tahoe is then found with the victim's blood in it. And witnesses have testified that the last time they saw the victim in the Tahoe, he was with Zach Peterson. So essentially, who else could it be? 
The state would in fact bring one key piece of evidence that would disrupt their theory and seemingly add weight to Zach's testimony that he was not at the trailer park when the shooting occurred. This would be cell phone data. Now, I'm willing to bet that you have heard about pinging and towers when it comes to cell phones in other podcasts. In fact, it's become widely used and spoken about in many cases. In fact, one of the world's most famous podcasts and possibly the podcast that launched the true crime genre, Serial, and the story of Adnan Saeed. Good afternoon, British Consulting. This is Steve. Hi, Steve. It's Jack, the podcaster from Australia. How are you, sir? Doing really well. It's a beautiful day. How about you? Now, you know we love an expert on this show because, well, I'm not an expert in anything, especially not cell phone data, which is why I've enlisted the help of Stephen Burgess from BurgessForensics.com, a man with over 30 years' experience in computer forensics and data recovery, especially cell phones. And he talked me through how the pinging from towers generates a location. The phone provider will have uh, a record going back some number of months uh, with whenever you've pinged off of a cell tower. So we can uh, map the location on a cell tower it doesn't tell you exactly where the phone is, but it allows you to sort of triangulate. Yep. So there will be the GPS coordinates of the tower that people are pinging off of. It's most likely to be the tower that they are nearest. Most of the towers have got three antennas, each of which covers 120 degrees or a third of a circle. So if you see these maps, what you see is kind of a slice of pie or a slice of pizza it's indeterminate in distance, but you can get a pretty good idea of where the phone was and then sort of follow it around. But again, it's not tracking it. It's when there's a connection being made. So if the phone is texting, but it's making a phone call, you may see it switch from tower to tower. And of course, you'll see you know, what number they were calling and how long it lasted and so forth. You can get a pretty good idea where the phone was, not a, you can't pinpoint it, and you get a, very, a pretty good idea where the phone was based on those phone records. How, how accurate is that cell tower stuff? So, I mean, you know, if someone was to bring you, say, you know, say it's in a criminal case and there's, you know, well, I mean, the one we're talking about, there's a murder involved and in this particular case, cell phone data was brought with a phone call. So this gentleman was making a phone call and he was pinging off a tower that was apparently 10 miles away from where the crime happened. So would that be, in your opinion, quite a good, accurate representation of where that phone was at the time? So there are maps that show us the coverage of all of the towers. And although you're most likely to be pinging off the tower you're closest to, you might very well be pinging off another tower nearby. One can infer and have an opinion based on what you're looking at and the movement from tower to tower. And that's exactly what happened in Zach's case. His defence team got an expert on the stand to read this data. And he would suggest, from his professional opinion, that as per this data, it shows that Zach's phone was nowhere near the scene of the crime at the time police would say it happened. I'm assuming the public defender went and got those, those records of where you were. And did it show you'd made phone calls and stuff from somewhere else? Yeah. See, the, 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 the state, they had my phone records, and they were trying to use those phone records to place me at the scene. The phone records actually showed that at the time the witness said that they heard the gunshots, I was on my phone across town. See, James Porter 
had a phone call with the individual that was waiting on him at 1.58 p.m. that day. The, the guy that, he, that was waiting on him had testified in my trial, and he testified that during that phone call, me and James Porter were at a stoplight right in front of him. He had called James Porter to see if he was okay or something like that, right? That was at 1.58. It takes three minutes to get to the location in which this incident had occurred. Now, my phone shows me at 2.01 outside of the area of where the, where the incident occurred and then driving towards the other side of the town during a call that lasted four minutes. So it had been impossible for me to drive to this location, have an altercation with this individual, shoot him and kill him, and then jump on the phone and drive down the highway in a vehicle that has a paralyzed wheel. I mean, it's physically impossible. That, that was our defense. On top of the fact that the witness said that they heard the gunshots at 2.10, and then at 2.13, there was an individual that had discovered James Porter on the ground and called the police. When they discovered him, he still had a pulse. So this logical inference is that the, 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 the time that the witness said that they heard the test, that they heard the gunshots, and then this witness who discovered James Porter with a pulse still at 2.13, it could be logically deduced that this incident just happened at this time. The facts support everything we were saying in our defense. Everything that the prosecution was leaning on was circumstantial allegation. My public defender wanted to go and hire a phone expert, and the phone expert testified to how the, the cellular calls, they, they, they ping off towers and how they get certain locations and how to basically read the data and he testified saying yeah this phone was nowhere near this location at this time it's like he couldn't even have done this because there was only a two-minute window between james porter's last phone call and the phone call that i had at 201 and showed me driving towards the other side of town So the jury have been presented with this state's evidence, which is essentially circumstantial, as there's no hard evidence to say that Zach had actually committed this crime. They had witnesses saying the last time they saw Mr Porter, he was with Zach in the Tahoe. They have the Tahoe with Mr Porter's blood, and they have the witnesses to say that they saw Mr Porter jump out of the vehicle after the gunshots and fall and pass away. However, none of these people can say that Zach was in the driver's seat or, in fact, he pulled the trigger. Zach's defence have presented cell phone data and an expert that says Zach's claims of not being at the trailer park when the witnesses claim to have heard the shots seems to add up from the data presented. And it would seem that the jury in this case would in fact believe the cell phone evidence and Zach's expert, and also would believe that Zach was not in fact the shooter as claimed. Now comes the interesting part. Because as we know, Zach is serving over 30 years for second-degree murder. If the jury did not believe he was the shooter, how is he found guilty of second-degree murder? Please welcome to the courtroom the felony murder rule. The felony murder rule is something that has been abolished from every country in the world except for the United States. 
It simply means that any death that occurs during the commission of a felony is first-degree murder and all participants, whether you actually killed someone or not, can be charged with and found guilty of murder. For example, you have a friend who wants to borrow a car to commit a crime. Firstly, get better friends. But you decide to lend them that car. Secondly, make better choices in life. However, the friend takes that car and commits a crime. In the commission of that crime, he kills someone. The felony murder rule states that you are just as guilty of that crime as he is and can be charged with and found guilty of murder. Another example. You and four of your buddies decide to burglarise a couple of houses. At the second home, the police show up and one of the officers ends up shooting and killing one of your buddies. Well, guess what? You're getting charged with your friend's murder. This exact scenario happened in Alabama in 2015 with five teenagers. The four surviving teens were all charged with the death of their friend. Three would plead guilty and got 17 to 28 years. And one chose to plead not guilty and was sentenced to 65 years. Today, Judge Sibley Reynolds re-sentenced Lakeith Smith to 30 years. His original sentence was 65 years. Smith was tried under Alabama's accomplice liability law for the death of Adante Washington, who charged a Millbrook police officer with a gun and was subsequently shot and killed. Because Washington was killed during the commission of a felony, all the suspects involved were charged with his death. Or another example. Maybe you're driving a friend to a drug deal in your blue Chevy Tahoe. And in the process of that drug deal, he's shot and killed. Under the felony murder rule, you are equally as guilty as the one who pulled the trigger. And essentially, that is why the jury in Zach's case would say they find him guilty of second-degree murder. However, the rule does state that to find someone guilty of murder using the felony murder rule, the state must provide evidence that the person was killed as a direct result of the felony being committed. And Zach and his defence team state that the prosecution were unable to prove that was even the situation in this case, as no one was there to witness what happened or why. I'm Jill Harper. I'm an attorney in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, I'm now a personal injury lawyer, however... Um, 10, 12 years ago, whenever it was with Zach's case, I was helping the public defender's office while I was in law school, and I second-chaired Zach's murder trial. At the trial, this is the first one that I've dealt with where this phone technology is brought in. Um, Zach says that Mm -hmm. the the prosecution actually brought his phone records to the table, and that actually ended up helping the defence. Absolutely. They were trying to show, I think, that... um, there was this phone number that was called over and over and over during the course of while the murder was supposed to be happening. And and they were, I don't know what their point was. They were trying to say it went to like the, an orthopedic group or an orthopedic center. I think they were trying to say he was trying to make his location be somewhere other than what it was. I'm not really sure, but it didn't really make sense. I don't know what they were doing, but because they brought in the cell phone evidence, the public defender's office hired an expert who then geo-tracked it, and we were able to prove with certainty that he was 10 miles away from the murder location at because we knew exactly what time the murder happened, and there were phone calls, and his, and his phone was pinging at exactly that time, and he was over 10 miles away. And so the jury told us, you know, when we pulled them after the case, that they didn't think he was the shooter at all, which is why they found him not guilty of the armed criminal action charge. And, and this is where the amazing part happens because they say, well, we, yeah, we, we believe that he was not the shooter in this, although 
we're going to mm-hmm. find him guilty of second-degree murder under this felony Correct. murder rule. Yeah, in Missouri, there's a statute, and I had sent it to you, the second-degree murder statute, it's 565021, and th- there's two ways to be found guilty of second-degree murder. The first one is um, that a person knowingly causes the death of another person or with the purpose of causing physical injury to another person causes the death of a person. So that's basically your traditional murder. You've killed someone option two, which they charge Zach in the alternative. So they actually charged him with being the shooter and armed criminal action, but they said, or in the alternative, he is guilty of second degree murder for subsection two, which says a person commits or attempts to commit any felony and in the perpetration or the attempted perpetration of such felony or in the flight from the perpetration or attempted perpetration of such felony, another person is killed as a result of the perpetration or attempted perpetration of such felony or immediate flight from the perpetration of such felony or attempted perpetration of such felony. And so the reason that's so convoluted, uh, the attempted flight is typically for bank robberies. You know, once they're fleeing from yep. the scene of the bank robbery, yep. if you get in a car wreck and, you know, kill someone because you're fleeing from that counts. Other states have this in the United States. And it used to just um, when I learned about this in law school, they we learned it from an acronym BARC. And so it used to only be for burglary, arson, rape and kidnapping. I don't know if Missouri expanded theirs or if everyone expanded theirs, but at least in Missouri, it's any felony. And it seems like that initial charging of Zach, it was almost like the prosecution were hedging their bets going, well, look, we're, we're accusing him of, him of murder, so we're charging him with second-degree murder and armed criminal action. But if you don't think he did it, then we're also going to charge him just in case with yes. this. And this was the part I hated the most is that, you know, uh, when the jury came out with the verdict and they said not guilty of armed criminal action, right, so we knew we had won for him not being the killer, but then they said guilty of second degree murder, which we knew was the felony murder. Right after the trial, the prosecution um, did a press conference and in their press conference and on the news, they said, we got the guy, we got it. This is a conviction. You know, the community can feel safe, but really they didn't get the guy. They didn't get the shooter. The shooter's still out there. Um, You know, Zach was not the shooter. So yes, they got the person who, set up this drug dealer, introduced these parties, but it was the guy's best friend who died. You know, uh, they didn't, they didn't protect anyone. The shooter's still out there. So, And I, th- I think there's also this mentality of, you know, people like, well, he wasn't a great guy. He was dealing drugs. I'd love to talk about that. Cause I don't know how much Zach got to say, but um, Zach was raised by a drug addict yeah, I know, and a yeah. prostitute. And he lived in hotels with six other kids or whatever. He had a terrible upbringing. Um, His older siblings got him in trouble when he was 17 years old. And he has a criminal record from when he was 17, went into the system. And then this happened when he was like 22 years old. And he had no chance. And all he did was... It's a little bit of pot, which is now legal. I know. I was going to say the the, the, the sad the sad irony of it is that opposite where the killing happened, there is now a drug dispensary, a marijuana dispensary there. Yeah. This is another part of this case that sucks and is not very cool. So he was sentenced to 30 years, which he has to complete over 85% of it because of that conviction when he was 17 years old. He wasn't even an adult and he didn't have 
I think he said that he didn't even have a lawyer. That was in Michigan. It wasn't in Missouri. So I don't know how that works, but he like pled guilty to some felony when he was 17. He had no lawyer, no representation. And because of that conviction, he now has to serve 85% or more of this 30 year sentence. Let's talk about this, you know, what he ended up being found guilty of with this second, the the felony situation, because as you were saying to me in an email when we were talking, they actually didn't even prove the point to find him guilty of, of felony murder rule. Correct. So I tried to file some. So Zach had a public defender and then the public defender filed some appeals for him. And then I don't do appellate work. I tried my best. I filed some stuff for him after the appeals failed from the public defender system. But essentially um, there was an issue with Zach's jury instruction. And I'm very disappointed that the court of appeals didn't take it up because, you know, and for the jury to find someone guilty that they read these instructions and there's not very many words. It's a one page thing. And it's, it's very concise and clear so that people can say guilty or, you know, not guilty. And the jury instruction just said, you know, you must find him guilty. If you believe that Zach committed the felony of distribution or attempted distribution and that as a result, someone died but it did not tie the shooting to the actual drugs. So the evidence showed that likely the drug deal was over because they had already left. And they're, they're in the car, car and yeah. they're on the way back home. If there was some problem with the drug deal, that likely would have happened in the trailer while they were exchanging the money and counting the drugs and doing all the things. The fact that it happened in the car on the way home I argued, showed that the felony was over. The felony can't continue indefinitely for the rest of their lives. You know, it has to stop at some point. We have no idea why the murder happened, or at least at trial, it was not presented. There was no evidence as to why he was shot. And, you know, I, I made the arguments it could have been over the radio. It could have been over a girl. It could have been over a whole new thing. Maybe he wanted to steal the car. I have no idea. No one knows, but they didn't tie the shooting to the felony at all. So I thought he should have gotten a new trial. When they came back and, and said guilty, what goes through your head when you when you hear that? Shit. I was confused. Mm. I was confused because I heard the acquittal of all criminal action and then I heard the guilty of second degree murder. I'm like, this don't make sense. I'm not turning my attorney. I'm like, what did I just get convicted of? I don't understand. I, I'm not convicted of murder, but they don't think I'm the shooter. He doesn't even understand. When when was sentencing? Sentencing was about uh, thirty days after that. And did you have a feeling what was coming when it came to sentencing? Like how long you were going to get? It's normal practice to get the maximum if you go to trial and lose when it comes to being sentenced. So I already knew that they was going to probably do some twenty and up. But the pre-sentence investigation said that I was probably I should only get like twenty fifteen. So I was hoping that since the jury didn't think I was a shooter, that surely that would be mitigating evidence to give me a lower sentence. But I already know how the course play, play how they play. So I'm like, I'm even going there with too much expectations, but to get the maximum. You know, in, in our system and even in this county, people who plead guilty to murder sometimes get 10 get years less. or 20 yeah. years or 22 years. And here, Zach fought it because he didn't kill his friend and it was proven that he didn't kill his friend. 
And then the judge gave him the maximum of 30. And I'm like, wow. Did they offer you a plea deal? Yeah, just recently. Yeah, 25. I don't regret. I, would, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have uh, played off of anything. I, why would I plea out when I'm not, I ain't kill this man. Like, yeah. I wasn't talking about no plea bargains. They came to my attorney asking if I would take anything. I'm like, nah, I'm not taking anything. There's no way I'm going, I'm going to jail for something I didn't do. I'm not doing that. So the only option was trial. And I guess I'll go back to this point. So I, I was just in law school. It was my second year of law school. It was my first trial. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, right? I'm just assisting the district defender in, in every way that I can. And, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about anyone because I'm not. And, and trials are hard. And here's the thing. What happened at trial is that jury instruction was drafted, not even by the guy trying the case. He called one of the associates and said, draw something up. And that guy ran it over. And it was done very quickly and the jury instructions are the crux of any case yeah, and course. no time was put into it. Zero. Even the judge was like, Oh, this doesn't really tie the felony to the murder. And they're like, Oh, whatever. Had this lawyer I went to work for after this case been the lawyer, I think Zach would have been found not guilty yeah. because there was zero evidence as to why the guy was murdered and they had to relate it. And the jury instruction didn't make him relate it, and I think he would be out walking free had he had a different lawyer. But this is the other frustrating thing. You said there that the judge even was like, oh, I'm not sure. It, 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 hold on, the ju- if, if the judge thinks that, he's supposed to be in charge of that room and say, guys, this no, this doesn't fit, you can't do this. That's the whole point right. of the judge. I mean, he's supposed to be in control of that room and in control of, yeah, you know, and not, not just going, so well, it appeals, doesn't fit, but well, Right, going. so we had the transcript, and in the appeal, like, we even pointed out, like, the judge mentioned that this might not be the bestly written jury instruction, but Court of Appeals still said, yeah, too bad. Is it a sentence with a parole date attached to it? Like, you, you can go for parole at some stage? Yeah, yeah, I, I go off for parole in uh, 2034, you know, but uh, that's not that's not plausible for me. I, I'm not going for that. I want to end this story by saying, I know it can sound like sometimes we are playing the sad sob story for people who are doing the wrong thing and breaking the law. What this is trying to highlight, I believe, is that yes, Zach was doing the wrong thing. Zach was selling marijuana. Sadly, ironically, opposite where this murder had happened there is now a legal marijuana dispensary. But of course, at the time, he was breaking the law. He deserves the repercussions for breaking the law. He deserved to go to jail for breaking the law. I just don't believe he deserves to go to prison for over 30 years for a murder he did not commit. While the actual murderer, as far as we know, still walks free. You have one minute remaining. This is the story of Zach Peterson for now. As always, we will keep in touch with Zach and see how his fight to get himself free is going. Zach Peterson was nowhere near this crime when it took place. He didn't see what happened. He didn't know why it happened. But in our next story, we have not one, but two individuals who are both incarcerated for the same murder. My name is uh, Zachary Kane. My name is Jeremy Kane. Um, 
I was convicted of murder. I was convicted of murder at the age of 15 and sentenced to 35 years. I have a 35-year sentence. I've done it right around 22 years. It's a murder that was committed when they were just teenagers. And they say was self-defence against a grown man who was threatening to kill them. I mean, you know, there's all kind of horror stories this man's got in his closet. And I did not know none of this. If you want to know the twist of this thing, I'll go ahead and tell it to you. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mashed Pumpkin production, created, hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Audio and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans of Earsay. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.